0: Alright everyone, welcome. Now it is the rebrand, the official first episode of the newly rebranded Jordan A. Brown Show. We were formerly the Igora, now we are the Jordan A. Brown Show, J-A-B, jab for short. I decided to rebrand. I actually have an episode previously, if you haven't checked that out, I discuss why I rebranded. But nonetheless, here we are and tonight... I have an awesome guest for you guys. He is the host of The Brian Nichols Show and the associate editor of The Libertarian
1: Republic. Brian Nichols, welcome to the show. Hey, Jordan, thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me to join you today. It's, a, it's an honor and a pleasure. Absolutely.
0: Well, so with The Jordan A. Brown Show, we are all about sharing stories and illuminating ideas, talking about ideas. So you, your show... We'll get into your show a little bit later. I want to talk a little bit about that, how you got that started. And you are part of the We Are Libertarians Network. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I just want to hear your backstory. So how, how did you get involved in the libertarian movement? What drew you to it?
1: What a story it is. Um, so to, to recap a little bit about who I am and where my political views came from. So to start off, um, I came from a very, very political family in Northern New York State. Uh, my father was an elected official, um, for a number of years, uh, is now serving as the, uh, current, uh, Republican, uh, I guess you'd call him the board of elections. So basically he runs the elections on the Republican side of things in the, the county. Uh, my grandfather, town supervisor for our home county. Um, and I have been involved in politics, uh, pretty much my whole life. Uh, whether it was helping run my, my dad's local campaigns uh, or even going out and um, you know, working for other candidates that were local. Uh, 2010, I worked on a, a New York State Assembly campaign. Uh, 2012 was really uh, my big step forward into or uh, well, I'd say federal politics. I was the mobile field representative for a U.S. congressional campaign and uh, served uh, with the, the candidate through the the election to basically be his body guy, um, being the first point of contact between the voter and uh, the, the the campaign itself. So, with that being said, um, you know, years and years of being in politics. Uh, went to school for political science, uh, the concentration in American government and public policy. Uh, so my my real uh, first step, if you will, into libertarian ideas. So I, I was pretty much your, your traditional um, neoconservative, more of the the George Bush, uh, John McCain wing of the Republican Party for most of my life. And in uh, 2012, it was uh, one of the first presidential elections I ever got to vote in. And I was uh, very much in favor of Mitt Romney versus uh, that of uh, Barack Obama, uh, Now, to many of my Libertarian cohorts, to hear that probably makes their skin crawl because obviously the shenanigans that took place behind the scenes with uh, Dr. Ron Paul, who at the time was serving as the U.S. Congressman from Texas and was prioring uh, Mitt Romney to to be the Republican nominee. um, I didn't, and uh, looking back now, I I ignorantly didn't look at Dr. Paul and more so just kind of fell in line with what my previous uh, notions of what it meant to be a Republican was. So um, I watched Mitt Romney run, and I watched Mitt Romney get destroyed because Mitt Romney came across as the establishment good old boy. And um, I realized that the Republican Party needed to be a party of, of unity and acceptance if they wanted to have any, any hope and prospects of maintaining any form of political identity uh, going forward the next 10, 20 years. Um, so with that, I started to try to um, promote The idea, at this time, I didn't identify it as libertarianism. I identified it more as just common sense, which was trying to uh, promote uh, free markets, economic responsibility, um, and social acceptance and personal responsibility. Um, At that point in time, I was looking for members in the Republican Party that would handle uh, that mantle well. And uh, I started to discover more of, which at the time was a little too late, Dr. Ron Paul, um, but also his son, uh, Rand Paul. I started to learn more about the likes of Justin Amash and and Thomas Massey and uh, started to do more research into what this this weird libertarian uh, fad was that I had been noticing pop up in my timelines. And um, around 2015 or so, 20 I'd say 2014 2015 was when the real aha moment was for me that okay, Brian, you're a Republican, uh, but you're also uh, pretty pretty strongly uh, libertarian at this point in time. Uh, 2015, I, I went hard for Rand Paul. Um, I you know, door-knocked. I did uh, you know, calls. I did as much as I could to try to get Rand Paul to be the nominee. Obviously, uh, that was short-lived in the tsunami that was uh, Donald Trump at the time, candidate Trump. Um, he pretty much took out Rand and, and everybody else from February to April uh, because of this populist message that he was bringing forward. Uh, after Rand Paul was uh, was taken out of the primaries, I thought there might be hope in trying to Maybe not necessarily promote libertarianism, but at least stop the populist takeover of the GOP. Um, I supported Ted Cruz for the brief time that he was still the only candidate really left as a conservative slash libertarian. And then after uh, Ted Cruz was out, I I began looking for real alternatives. So I started looking and trying to find who could be a candidate that not only would represent my ideas, um, but actually might have a chance of winning. And uh, I stumbled upon uh, this guy named Austin Peterson. And uh, Austin, at the time, was one of uh, the three main uh, candidates running for the Libertari- Libertarian Party's uh, nomination to be president. He was among uh, himself, Gary Johnson, former governor of New Mexico, and uh, then John McAfee, former uh, CEO of McAfee uh, Computer Antiviruses. And uh, Austin spoke very eloquently about very modern contemporary ideas and frame them through a common-sense, libertarian, uh, liberty-oriented message, what I thought was very uh, needed going forward into 2016. Um, and at this point in time, I really, I, I went hard for Austin. I was really pushing for him, trying to get my family and friends to, to hear Austin Peterson's message. Uh, it was a joy to see the likes of Glenn Beck and uh, Eric Erickson and Liz Mayer and all these, um, these, these never-Trump conservatives Finally, embracing a true libertarian candidate, and um, when Austin, I, I sat there and I watched the uh, the Libertarian National uh, Convention, and I watched Austin lose, and then I watched <clears throat> the, the the naked man dancing on stage, and I watched the crowd boo Austin Peterson when when he said that no uh, kids shouldn't have heroin, um, and I, I was thinking, what the hell is going on? How is this making sense? Um, but nevertheless, you know, I I then became more. In, in terms of my libertarian uh, views, I became more of an advocate in promoting the ideas, and I became um, a writer for the Libertarian Republic. And um, eventually that, that transitioned into an associate editor role. And at that point in time, I really pushed hard for Gary Johnson to try to have him be a an alternative to what was the duopoly of uh, of votes between Trump and Hillary Clinton, because I was tired of the lesser than two evils argument, and I really saw 2016 as an election that a third party with a true liberty-oriented message could really do some waves. They could they could really come in, stand against the this traditional two-party system, and make a lot of headway. And and then Gary Johnson's. Uh, Gary Johnsonisms started to happen uh, with his sticking his tongue out, the, the what is Aleppo moment, and uh, and Bill Weld's uh, seemingly tacit endorsements of Hillary Clinton, and um, I, I felt I felt pretty betrayed at that point. So that was really the the moment I became an advocate for uh, libertarianism with a small L, uh, being that of a platform more than a party, and I began my real attention to try and bring attention and focus to promoting the ideas of Liberty through any channels necessary, whether it was through uh, working with those in the left where we can find agreements, whether it was working through the, the channels of the Libertarian Party itself, or if it was through the channels of working with those on the right, it, both those in the Republican Party or those who would identify as conservatives to then try to find ideas we can agree on and try to promote those various ideas individually. Because I think that's going to be the, the best means to, to really bring a liberty message going forward.
0: So you talked about how you were trying to kind of create a coalition of liberty, and I I listened to your episode with uh, William F. Buckley O'Reilly with the Federalist Party. Can you talk a little bit about how the the newly rebranded Federalist Party of America, can you talk a little bit about how their message kind of coincides with the liberty movement as a whole?
1: Absolutely, so um, for those of you who are interested, go and check out this this episode that Jordan's mentioning. It's an interview with, with William F. Buckley O'Reilly, the nephew of uh, William F. Buckley, who is probably one of the most renowned um, I'd say most, one of the most renowned conservative thinkers um, in in American history, and uh, basically, the idea of the uh, the Federalist Party of America is to to bring power away from the federal government and and bring it to the states as was intended. During the framing of the Constitution, uh, so that means that all these issues that we currently face as a society and as a nation are better handled at the local level, where we as individual voters have more influence than, say, um, a national bureaucracy, where our vote is, is much more watered down. Um, you know, it's sad that a lot of people don't realize that your vote for school board has infinitely more impact on your own personal day-to-day life than your vote for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, or even your your U.S. Senator. So really, one, one of the areas that uh, I was very enamored with for the Federalist Party of America is this idea of bringing government down to the local level, number one, and number two, trying to institute this uh, policy of term limits. Because at that point in time, it would help incentivize new ideas, it would help uh, bring new people into the fold, and uh, hopefully it would get rid of this this career politician where you have the John McCain's and the Chuck Schumers of the world who, who they become elected officials. They're, they're in their, their seats for life. And, uh, they're unfortunately with those seats comes those terrible ideas that they have, be they on the left or the right, um, that end up impacting us all, uh, <laughs> essentially with no, um, with no contrasting views. So that's where I think really the, the Federalist Party of America is really going to bring a lot of value and, and a, a lot, a great deal of discussion to the forefront.
0: Yeah, because I think because like you, I was looking at the Libertarian Party during the two thousand and sixteen election, and I and I looked at Austin Peterson, and I really did like his ideas. And then when I saw like you, when Gary Johnson got the nomination, I'm like, all right, well let's let's see where this guy goes. Because um, I was against the uh, the two party system as a, as a whole. I, I didn't think that the Republican, and even now, I mean, with the whole omnibus uh, spending bill, I don't think that the Republicans necessarily in power right now have the best interests at heart. I mean, like we we have people like Rand Paul and Thomas Massey and Mike Lee and and um Justin Amash, but I really don't think that the the Republican Party per se uh, has true conservatism at its core anymore. Uh, I feel like it's okay. like which which type of spending do you want? Do you want a Democratic flavor or do you want the Republican flavor? <laughs> um, and so for me, I'm looking at okay, how do we and something it's interesting because you have people like you know Austin Peterson who decided to okay leave the Libertarian Party the big the big L and and go kind of almost like a I don't want to say a Trojan horse but the way that the Republican Party is now I would I would argue possibly that it's a Trojan horse type of thing like go and and bring it back to this this true conservative party so it's gonna be interesting if if he ends up winning that election oh, absolutely. But i what what are your thoughts on that of having him go in and run as a Republican rather than building the libertarian party because I feel like the libertarian party it's so divided on what
1: is libertarianism, and I do want to get into that well let me let me jump in so um with, with that being said, I don't mean to plug my own shirt again, but like if, if there's an episode I did with a former White House policy advisor Dean Clancy, and we actually we had this very discussion what is the role of political parties and um you know, Dean and I kind of came to the conclusion that, well, political parties are nothing more than, uh, than vessels to promote principles. Now, with that, it's, it's also vessels to promote uh, individuals within those respective movements. Uh, so the Libertarian Party is no more a vessel to promote values than the Republican Party. Uh, the Socialist Party is no more a vessel than to promote uh, their ideas uh, than the Democratic Party. It's a matter of what vessel is going to bring you to your destination, either the fastest or um, the safest. Now, Austin, he did the noble thing, and he attempted to use the Libertarian Party, which is supposed to be the, the party of true liberty, to promote his values to a national stage. And he, he got further than I dare say uh, any Libertarian candidate has done uh, since Ron Paul back when he ran in 1988. Now, looking at 2018 awesome jump ship. Uh, and he he joined the ship of the Republican Party, not because his, his principles changed, but because he was looking for uh, an opportunity to bring his principles to a larger audience, number one. But number two, to actually have an opportunity to instill those principles in government. So to actually have not only the, the Facebook group chat where you're feeling like you're winning Facebook arguments, but to actually bring those ideas of Liberty, the ideas of small government, the ideas of personal responsibility, economic freedom, free markets, and bringing those to Washington to actually have real policy, uh, policy change and, and to work with those in Washington, like a Rand Paul, like a Mike Lee to make sure we can have those, those ideas represented in, in our, uh, in our daily lives through, um, either a passing new laws, uh, which is not ideal, but unless it's to get rid of all the existing laws, uh, but the b also help uh, help keep in check the federal bureaucracies that are put in in place by the administrations, be they Republican or Democrat. So, looking at fundamentally the differences between the Libertarian Party and the Republican Party, they're vast, and the, and you'll never have me argue against that. It's just a matter of what party is actually going to help get those ideas. Into our daily lives through policy, and I think right now Austin has came, He's come to the conclusion that it is the Republican Party, um, which is unfortunate because the Libertarian Party has had a phenomenal opportunity to really carry that banner going forward. Um, but and I'm sure we'll get into this. The Libertarian Party has had its own issues. <laughs> that uh, if people have been paying attention here in the, the Liberty movement, it's it's a little uh, a little embarrassing. We have to even uh, worry about some of the issues we're going through. So do you
0: think that the libertarianism that Austin Peterson is is rightly trying to sell to the country, and I think that there's a big enough audience for it, do you think that he has a great shot of winning, not only necessarily in Missouri, but that type of liberty movement winning across the country in the Republican primaries? Or do you feel like the populism has kind of taken over the Republican Party?
1: Well, and that, you hit the nail on the head right there, is that populism has, it has Infiltrated into the Republican Party um, with the likes of Donald Trump, and that's why a lot of—and this pains me to say—a lot of people that I used to to deeply respect, based on um, their, I would say, their conservative ideals. And maybe I didn't agree with them 100%. Um, but I respected them for their their fervent belief in those ideals. Now, seeing them abandon these these beliefs in the name of supporting what Donald Trump is promoting as president, yeah, that's been very disappointing. And I think one thing that Austin has as an advantage is that he is promoting liberty and he's promoting these libertarian, small L libertarian ideals, which at their very nature, they they do share very similar characteristics of populism, but not in the sense that it's populism to take over government based on a you know, particular thought, thought or, or sensational issue at the time, but the idea of at, at people 's core, they want to be able to live their lives as they see fit, to not be told what to do, and to more or less live peacefully austin 's message of of small L libertarianism is, is something that people at their very core agree with it's just a matter of trying to break through the the rhetoric that's been promoted by the the trump the Trumpist populist movement, and to help get people out of their echo chambers, to get rid of their own confirmation biases, and to look at things in an objective manner, um, away from the Fox news and away from the the CNNs and to see that, yeah, okay, you know, what Austin's saying is, is not only something that is, uh, you know, something I can get on board with, but it's kind of masked libertarianism. And he's, he's doing a phenomenal job in in my honest opinion in terms of marketing to these people who have been so engrossed by the populist Trump movement that they're open to hearing new ideas that maybe kind of go against what their preconceived notions were. So if you're a conservative who is a super social conservative, you you likely would have never looked at Austin Peterson as a, a person you would support because Austin is a self, uh, self-proclaimed agnostic. But with Trump coming in as hardly the emblematic representative of pure you know, Christianity and pure Christian values, that's made a lot of people have to get off their high horses and start to, to uh, consider other candidates that they wouldn't normally consider. Only in this case, Austin's actually a candidate I, I think people could consider and, and stick to their, their true values because he's not trying to get government to, um, not trying to get government to use its power to then negatively influence others, but more taking over <laughs> the government to leave everybody else alone so you can live your life as you see fit.
0: So yeah, so let's talk about these small L principles because the audience is probably wondering, okay, they keep throwing around this term libertarianism. They've talked about the party. What the hell is actually you know libertarianism? So I have, I have nine points because I was, I was looking and David Boaz. He, uh, in his book, Libertarianism, a Primer, he cites nine uh, key principles. And the first one is individualism. Second one's individual rights. Third, spontaneous order. Fourth, the rule of law. Five, limited government. And then, of course, you have the free markets, that's the big one, uh, virtue of production, natural harmony of interest, and then the final one is peace. So, in your own words, what does libertarianism mean to you? Does it kind of match up with those nine, those nine yeah. principles?
1: Absolutely. So, um, in my own words, and it, they're, they're my own words, and I'm paraphrasing the great Jason Stapleton and uh, Matt Kibbe. It, it is, at, at the end of the day, what libertarianism comes down to is don't hurt people and don't take other people's stuff. If we can agree as a society that those two points, not hurting people and not taking their stuff, is a, an okay way to approach how we, we interact with other on a daily basis, but how government should interact with us, I think we, we are, we're we off to a good start. Because at the end of the day, not hurting people, so not uh, violating other person's uh, property rights, not, not harming their personal being, um, not... Doing things on your own that are directly negatively impacting them in a negative manner, not necessarily a, a net manner. So, like, let's say I I have a company and my company's uh, profits are putting uh, or my company's products are putting your company out of business. That's not a, a hurting someone. That's just that you're not competing at a, an appropriate level in the free market. Uh, then then look at look at the other side. Uh, not taking people's stuff. There there's the expression that I think is getting used a little too often and it's kind of gotten tongue in cheek. But taxation is theft. Um, at the end of the day, there is nothing moral about having a group of people decide in a democracy by voting that they have the right to take someone else's stuff. So let's, let's break this down to its most, uh, you know, basic tribal kind of, uh, kind of way to describe it. So let's say, you know, Jordan, you and I are in a room with, with 10 of our friends and, um, you you end up having a, a great day, you go to the, the, the gas station, you buy a lottery ticket, you win $10 million, it's great. And you come back and you say, hey guys, look what I did, I won $10 million, isn't that great? And then all of a sudden everybody else is like, you know what, collectively we're going to vote, and we're going to vote and we decide via democracy that democratically we are going to take away your money. We're going to kick your butt if you don't give us your money, so give us your money now and then we will distribute that amongst everyone else so it's, it's equal. Um... Is there morality to that? No. Uh, well, well, then the other argument, well, what if we democratically elected the, or I'm sorry, democratically decided that we're going to take your money and we're going to uh, you know, leave you with, you no, know, let's say $100,000 because who needs a million dollars altogether? And we're going to take that $900,000 we take from you and we're going to use it to help other people. Okay, well, at the end of the day, does that, us using that money democratically by taking it from you, does that, get, does that morally justify stealing literally even though it's done in a democratic manner does that justify morally taking your money and and libertarians with and i say small l to differentiate between the libertarian party and libertarians in in principle in in philosophy um we believe that that's that's not moral there is no moral justification to use a government even though it's being done democratically to then um take someone else's stuff in in a democratic manner to then uh distribute and utilize as they see fit. so yes, David Boaz, I mean, his, his nine principles are pretty well uh, understood throughout libertarian community. The problem is, is that when you start digging into the nitty gritty, a lot of people just shut down. They, they hit the snooze button and they go back to sleep. Whereas one issue that libertarians have in general, and it's actually funny that we're having this conversation right now because this past weekend, um, I was out in Detroit for uh, the American Futures Foundation, which is a nonprofit that, that focuses specifically on reaching um, <clears throat> post college uh, liberty-minded individuals to get them involved in the liberty movement, but also to help uh, get those within their community to understand the value of libertarianism. And we had an entire session that was focused on messaging and branding for liberty and how we need to, to break things down into a manner that shows meaning. How you can be a libertarian and you can talk about all the, the the neat features of libertarianism. Look at, you have free markets, you have, you have um, lower taxes, you have, uh, you know, you have personal freedom and you say these, these, these key features, these buzzwords, and it means nothing to the average person. But when you can step back, let's, let's say like occupational licensing, right? That's a big one that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about here in Philadelphia. Um, you, you step back and you say, okay, well, occupational licensing, I say that to the average person. They have no idea what that means. Um, So you, you, you tell them, okay. Well, at the end of the day, let's say you want to have a, a barber shop, right? And you have to pay thirty thousand dollars to take a, to get a license to be a barber. Is that is that fair? Is that right? Well, no. Almost everybody will agree it's it's not right. Well, okay. There you go. That's that's one way we can start to have a conversation because we can make it real. Um, we had to show people as libertarians and and people within the greater liberty movement that behind these policies are real people with real real issues in how things are being done because of the way it impacts us on a day-to-day basis that we don't really notice, uh, whether it's Uber and ride sharing versus the traditional taxi industry, whether it's somebody being able to have enough money to get a license to cut someone's hair. Um, there's a lot of things that we can reach out to uh, and, and, and really cover as libertarians that a lot of people will agree with. They just don't realize that they're libertarian ideas. So it's, it's being able to take these very um, Easy to digest issues and understand issues, and and bring them to people in a manner that's easy to understand. And it's easy to to then rationalize like, hey, okay, that's libertarian. Maybe they these people aren't the the crazy people on Facebook that I I hear so much about and I see arguing in their Facebook groups. Well, it's interesting because you know people say I forgot I forgot
0: actually who said this, but it was like if you can't sell liberty. And you're a politician. You're probably in the wrong business. But basically, <laughs> true, true. yeah. Do you feel that? Because I was actually watching a video earlier today where Austin Peterson was actually defining the different strands of libertarianism, and he said that Gary Johnson did a disservice by defining libertarianism as uh, socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Do you feel like that message has has hurt the liberty movement as a whole? Like the because you you know, you mentioned the the problems with the libertarian party as far as like the they're not really in sync when it comes to the message, there's kind of like this idea of liberty, but then after that, it's like, okay, what happens from there? Um, and you have people like in the left leaning libertarian movement, and then you have people on the right leaning libertarian movement. Do you feel like the libertarian party as a vehicle
1: has hurt the overall small l libertarian ideas? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say, well, let's let's break this down a little bit. So, first, Gary Johnson, yes, he did do a disservice when he said um, fiscally conservative, socially liberal, because that's not what libertarians are. We're not socially liberal. You you could be socially liberal and be a libertarian, but you, you don't have to be socially liberal. Um, and I think honestly, and, and this is not me trying to, to cast shade at, at Gary Johnson, but I think at the end of the day, it's because he, he doesn't really get what it means to be a libertarian himself. Cause maybe in his own personal life, he is socially liberal and he is fiscally conservative. Um, but here, here's the, the the way that, and this is where Gary actually got a lot of trouble with libertarians themselves. Is okay. Well, what do we mean uh, socially liberal? Well, this kind of goes to the whole bake the cake argument, right? The the argument that was raised up, and, and Austin actually probably went after Gary the the strongest about this was, um, Austin or Austin had asked or had been asked in the debate, you know, with the case where the uh, the baker, the the Christian baker. Was being forced to bake the uh, the gay person the gay couple's cake, and um, the question was asked, well, well, what should have been the decision on that? And Gary said, well, yeah, you, you bake the cake, and um, that that was then questioned by Austin Peterson, saying, okay, well, let's let's take this to its logical extreme. If we had a, a Jewish baker, and a Nazi um, organization came in, wanting the, the Jewish baker to bake a cake for. Um, their, their get-together, and it was a big swastika, should the Jewish baker be forced to bake that cake? And, and Gary kind of got a little flummoxed because he, he didn't really think that out. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, one thing that is a fundamental basis of libertarianism itself is, is the uh, idea of property rights. The, the idea that you would have the right to uh, your, your labor yourself, um, you, you aren't forced to perform uh, services you don't want to perform. Um, so it's not a matter of should a Christian baker bake a, gay, a cake for a, a gay couple or not. It's a matter of should anyone be forced to uh, perform a service that they do not wish to perform. Because the, uh, if, we, if we take that um, argument and then bring it to its ideological extremes, then what's to stop the government from forcing anyone to do something for anybody else? Um, and that and that's a real thing that people need to consider. Now, answering your question about libertarianism and uh, the Libertarian Party more specifically, I don't think the Libertarian Party is necessarily a detriment to the Libertarian message. However, there's <laughs> a big however. But that being said, um, I I think I can be pretty confident in saying that over the past 40 years, the likes of non-libertarians, and I say that with uh, respect to Ron Paul, Rand Paul, Milton Friedman, Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, Jeffrey Tucker, Austin Peterson, et cetera, et cetera. Those individuals have done more in terms of reaching out to new people and exposing them to the ideas and the principles of liberty than the Libertarian Party has. I mean, it's one thing to be able to be in a Facebook group and making these, what are in your mind, rational, sound arguments about, you know, the, the concepts of liberty and, you know, saying, well, you know, if we are truly libertarians, then we want to abolish public schools and we want to be able to have people, you know, we have kids be able to, um, you know, if they want to use heroin, they should use heroin. That's one thing. It's another thing to actually reach out to new people and get them interested in liberty in an easy to digest manner that. They might not agree with 100%, but they, they at least are understanding that this idea is out there and it's something that they can, they, they might not necessarily jump on board with instantly, but they can come around to. And, and with Austin Peterson for the likes, I, mean, I, I keep on coming back to Austin because he's the most recent example of a libertarian, a big L libertarian, getting onto networks like the Glenn Beck program that reaches millions of people every single day. And, and he was on that show twice talking about not only the libertarian party, but libertarianism to an audience that maybe hadn't really been aware of libertarianism as, an, as a philosophy, because that just wasn't in their wheelhouse. Because I think one thing that we need to consider as politicos is that not everybody thinks like us. Um, you know, we're into stuff every single day. We're, we're on Twitter, you know, doing snarky back and forth with people. Saying why I'm right and you're wrong, or let's talk about these issues in depth. But the average person, they don't care. They're not worried about that. They're worried about being able to pay their bills. Uh, They're worried about, you know, picking their kid up from soccer practice. They're not focused on these issues as much as as we are. So it's important for us to be able to get out of these, as Glenn Beck so uh, appropriately identified them as mental masturbation chambers. Get out and actually start talking to people on a real life kind of fundamental basis and to actually have real conversations that will show the value of what we're we're bringing to the table to real people in a real effective manner.
0: Exactly. Because I feel like, cause I've had conversations with, with uh, libertarians before. And, and sometimes I'll hear like the whole, like, Oh, we got to legalize everything, you know, the heroin thing and, or like the roads and this and that. And it's like, okay, I get that. If you take the roads, <laughs> I know, right? The roads, right? You know, if you take it to the, you know, the logical conclusion, yeah, of course, obviously, that's the extreme. But let's reel it back in and say, okay, how do we practically sell this to average people who are just, like you said, looking to pay the bills or taking care of their family and and everything like that? So I feel like when you break it down, like, and, and that's why I love Austin Peterson so much as far as his message and and how he's able to bring it. Um, bring that idea the libertarian idea back to a kind of practical level and say all right look this is what we can do practically in government to a reduce the power of of the federal government bring it back to to the states and local government and even from there bring it back to the individuals themselves I feel like it's really important that we have more people like Austin um, in the liberty movement to really you know bring out those ideas because that's like, like you know, with the whole debacle with the convention, you know, with the guy dancing on the, I mean, people look at that and they say, oh, God, <laughs> there's, there's the libertarians again. But like yep. you said, we, we need to make it, bring it back and say, no, 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 this is really what libertarianism is. And people are like,
1: oh, okay, that makes sense. And, I, and yeah. Let me let me clarify, too. i It's not that I have a lot of issues with the Li- Libertarian Party. I and mean, I've actually had a, quite a few uh, Big L Libertarian Party members um, on my show myself. Um, I had Larry Sharp, who's running for New York State Governor. As a libertarian, I had Alicia Sharp, who is running for uh, the chairperson uh, role for the Libertarian National Party. Um, and, I, and, and going back, again, to the conversation I had with Dean Clancy, like, there is a role for the Libertarian Party. And I think it's not, it's not unfair to say that that role probably will never be actually winning um, national elections until they get their act together, number one, but number two, if and when the Republican Party officially dies, which I think might be sooner than a lot of people think. Um, but more than anything, right now the Libertarian Party itself, its role is to keep members of the Republican Party honest. Um, so let's say, for instance, in, oh, here, here's a perfect example. In the election in, in Pittsburgh, where we had three candidates running, Republican, Democrat, and Libertarian, the Libertarian Party uh, vote, uh, candidate for Congress got, I think it was like 1,000-ish votes, um, which both sides freaked out over. They're like, well, that was a wasted vote, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, it wasn't really a wasted vote because look what it did. Now you, it's, it's putting people on record, having to take a position about the Libertarian Party and those voters that voted for the Libertarian candidate. And... I think this is one thing that pisses off people in both sides of the, the political camp being Republicans and Democrats is that at the end of the day, they're not entitled to anyone's vote, be they libertarian or otherwise. And, and instead of saying, well, you wasted your vote, you should have voted for this person. It's like, no, run better candidates like that. That's not on the voters. Now, we could go. Now, this is my. My political science hat. We could go into a whole conversation if we want to about um, strate- the strategic voting theory, which is is very well. Um, it's a well point point taken. I actually I did my thesis uh, for my political science degree on the strategic voting theory um, because. It, it does have value in terms of looking at, okay, well, are you going to vote for the candidate that is going to lose? Or are you going to vote for a candidate that's your next favorite person um, because they maybe will give you a plus four um, you know, in terms of what you're looking to get in values and principles versus the worst candidate who's going to give you like a negative two. Um, now this, now that, strategic voting theory could actually open up a whole other conversation about ranked choice voting, which I am like strongly in favor of. Ranked choice voting is the way of the future for voting. Um, It's the way of the future for elections, and it will help bring parties like the Libertarian Party, like the Conservative Party, like the Federalist Party of America to voters that normally would never vote for them because they do feel that their votes don't count and their votes don't matter. So just I mean, a very brief spark notes version of what ranked choice voting is for your listeners. I was um, just
0: about to ask, yeah. Yeah,
1: so basically the idea of ranked choice voting is let's say, um, here, look, we'll take my estate my here in Pennsylvania. Let's say we have uh, five people running for governor. We have Republican, Democrat, conservative, libertarian, socialist, okay? You go in, Jordan, Brown, you go in to vote. And instead of sitting at the voting booth and you say, okay, I got to pick the Republican, the Democrat, the conservative, the libertarian, or a socialist. I pick one and I walk out of the voting booth. You actually rank in order your top preference, your second preference, third, fourth, fifth, and each row that you vote for has a, a numerical value associated to it. So let's say your first choice vote has a value of 10, and your second choice has a value of 7, and third, five, two, Three, one, one, right? And then the way that the vote is tallied is the cumulative vote totals with the associated points. So let's say, for instance, you voted number one for the Libertarian, right? And then number two was your Conservative, number three, Republican, four, Democrat, five, Socialist. Each candidate would have whatever that numerical total next to their name. So the Libertarian would get 10 points, the Conservative would get seven points, and then, again, the progression go down. And when they do the final vote tallies, they look at the cumulative number of points associated with those uh, candidates that were running to determine who the winner is. So not only A, does it let you as a voter be able to vote multiple times for one race to be able to actually feel like your vote does matter, but number two, it then brings those third-party candidates that people would normally not vote for because they feel they don't have a chance. It would bring them into the the actual battlefield of political uh, votes, and truly every vote would be mattered. It would be counted, and it would have value. And I think that's when the Libertarian Party and that's when the Conservative Party and the Federalist Party of America, that's when those parties will stop being the parties that hold people accountable and actually start making a difference. Because if we look at 2016, and, and this, I, I love this stuff because this makes my political science brain work. I just want to go back and actually do um, some tests on this, is that I would love to poll voters in 2016 and say, okay, who did you vote for? Trump, Clinton, um, Stein, Johnson, Castle, you name the candidate. Now, if we had ranked choice voting, how would you have voted? And I, or I can almost guarantee that Gary Johnson, uh, in proportion to what he ach- achieved on election night in 2016, which was like 1.3% or some stupid, sad number, he would have been in the, I would say, 20 to 30% range, no questions asked, because now the the points that he'd be getting as that third or second place candidate would start to add up. So if you have a candidate like a uh, Gary Johnson in 2016, who's getting you know a, a ton of second and third place votes, and you have Trump and Hillary who are getting a lot of first and like last place votes. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, Gary Johnson, he's he's getting more and more points. And you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility if we had a ranked choice voting right now that uh, Gary Johnson would be sitting in the White House. Which I think we can all agree, Republican or Democrat, it would be a lot less uh, a lot less interesting, a lot more boring and probably a lot better for America.
0: Yeah, well, didn't he win a straw poll among
1: uh, active military members? Oh, he absolutely did. Um, And that seems to be true with pretty much all libertarian candidates, is that the libertarian almost always wins the the military vote, because at the end of the day, believe it or not, a lot of people in the military don't like going overseas to fight stupid wars. Um, I wonder why, right? <laughs> it's almost like their lives are the ones that are actually on the line instead of you know, these, these political bureaucrats and these, these, you know, the Lindsey Grahams of the world who I like to talk a good game about how strong America is. And he'd never held a gun to go you know, actually stand on the front lines and, and face these people that he's wanting to destroy and then instead sending his, his voters, sons and daughters to go fight the war for him. It, it's, it's, it's petty, it's, it's, it's insulting to be quite honest, and um, you know that I think that speaks volumes when you see the amount of the uh, the amount of people in the military who support the the libertarian, not necessarily the libertarian candidates, but libertarian ideals, especially as it pertains to foreign policy.
0: Yeah, and and that's the thing is that especially with the you know, the whole Syria chemical attack that just surfaced, um, uh, yeah. And then you hear him, you know, you hear Trump saying, you know, we're going to be we're going to be out of Syria. And it's like, all right, man, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And then you see this come up, and it's like, no, you, you were so close. We were so close. It just like the whole omnibus thing, which I knew he well, was going to sign. And
1: it. really quick, with with the Syria thing, now, I am not a conspiracy theorist. And I'm, I'm prefacing this conversation with the notion I am not a conspiracy theorist. However, it, it, the timing is, is far too much of a coincidence to not raise some eyebrows where literally, like, what was it, two weeks ago, we were ready to come out of Syria then all of a sudden, John Bolton's like, nah, brah, we shouldn't. And then all of a sudden, we have this Syria gas attack on citizens, which let's let just remove ourselves from like what actually is being discussed as policy, and let's just look at this objectively. It makes no freaking sense for Assad to gas his own people when he is literally at the cusp of essentially winning this whole Syria issue. Mm-hmm. He was going to have people pull out of his country. He was going to be able to have his authority back in, in check. And he's going to be working on a, a post-war solution with Russia, Iran, and all these other countries. And then just out of nowhere, just by circumstance, he gasses his own people. I mean, twice. Twice, twice supposedly, right? right,
0: right? It's, of- and it's it is the same situation in both, both things. He's about to win last year this whole thing. Then this year, right around the exact same time.
1: Yep. Same thing. Isn't it curious too that we had back in February, just two months ago, mind you, where General Mattis came out and specifically stated that, well, at the end of the day, we really didn't have any hard evidence showing that Assad gassed his people last year. What? And here we are even considering the idea of going into Syria to either a continue our occupation or B to escalate it. I mean, like I, at what point do we as people have to step back from politics and say, what is going on? Like, are we, are we really going to just take whatever we're being fed as the narrative and accept that for what it is just because that's what we're being told to believe? I, I, it's really, it's almost insulting to the American people's intelligence that we've gotten to this point in our society where we can't have any rational thought or any inquisitive thinking about issues in a skeptical sense that doesn't make you a conspiracy theorist, but it actually just makes you a human being trying to rationalize what's actually happening based on what's happened in the past.
0: And and I didn't like McMaster at all, but then when I saw he was being
1: replaced by John Bolton, I'm like, that John Bolton? Are you kidding me? John Bolton, the uh, the uh, Duke of Weaseltown from Frozen with his gigantic mustache and the war that he's never saw that he didn't like to to go into.
0: Exactly. We. I mean, I got to have you back on at some point later down the road to just talk about all of these these things um but quickly i want to i want to talk about your brian nichols show so how did you get and your work with we are libertarians so
1: how did the, how did you get started in that and talk to us a little bit about your show yeah absolutely so the brian nichols show it's found on the we are libertarians network and can be found wherever podcasts are found um the way i got into that show uh so i joined on as a guest for the uh, we are libertarians network uh which is hosted by chris Spangle. Um, And, and he invited me on, we had, he had me on actually twice as a, no, actually three times as a guest um, for, for various shows. And uh, at, at one point we were just kind of, you know, texting back and forth. And he's like, Hey, like, I know you, you write for, for the Libertarian Republic. He's like, but I, I think, you know, if you're interested, would you consider having a show? And at the point in time, I, I was on the uh, the Libertarian Republic uh, network doing, it was the Around the Republic podcast. And um, when when I heard this opportunity, I mean, the We Are Libertarians network uh, for podcasting is, is, is a pretty well-known and established network. And I was like, you know what? I think the medium that I'm most efficient with is, is podcasting. And I've done radio for years and, you know, with my show now that I currently have on the the Libertarian Republic Network. I mean, it, it it gets views, and it's it's a fun show to do. But to be able to take be be, Le, be Lebron James and take my talents, um, you know, to to South Beach, <laughs> um, take my talents to to Central Indiana, um, being over here in Philadelphia. But uh, no, Chris gave me the opportunity, and uh, I was very appreciative. And um, you know, with that, I've been able to to establish what is I was astounded to be the fastest growing libertarian podcast in the nation. Um, you know, we've had guests from, from all thoughts of uh, political persuasion. Um, we've had, just, just to go through the laundry list, we've had, here, let me pull it up as I'm doing this. Um, and, and as I'm doing this, one thing to consider too is that while we're a libertarian show, we like to have people on from all different means of political thinking because at the end of the day, we're not going to get anywhere by just spewing our own ideas and expecting things to change. Um, we need to convince new people to come on to uh, the Liberty movement. Um, and that comes with having conversations that are uncomfortable. Um, so with that being said, I, uh, I've had, here we go. Um, had John Pierre Maley and Brendan Noble uh, to discuss is Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson intellectuals. I had uh, Derek LeBaron and Paul Riley, both uh, very strong uh, climate change um, I don't want to say alarmists, but they're kind of in that camp. To discuss climate change, um, I've had, uh, let's see, I had Paul Riley back on again who was very strong in the gun control camp to discuss the Parkland shooting. I had Dean Clancy on to discuss um, the Libertarian Party, Libertarian ideals, uh, policy, gun control. I had Alicia Dern on to discuss her candidacy for the Libertarian Party. Um, I then had Austin Peterson on uh, to discuss his candidacy uh, running for U.S. Senate in Missouri as a Republican. Uh, William F. Buckley O'Reilly, as you previously mentioned uh, from the Federalist Party of America. Uh, Kimberly L. Ross, uh, associate editor over at Red State to discuss um, her kind of flirtations with libertarian ideas and uh, her strong views on pro-life. Uh, Larry Sharp came on, New York state candidate uh, for governor as a libertarian. And then last week I had um, uh, the uh, Free Beacons, uh, Stephen Katowski to discuss gun control rights or gun control issues and gun rights. Um, so, I mean, it there's only like what three people in the entire list that are like true libertarians. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the idea. The idea of the Brian Nichols show, I don't want people to come on and to, to sit there and say, all right, here's why libertarianism is great. And this is why we're always right. And this is why we're, we're the way to go. And anybody doesn't think so is dumb. Like that doesn't solve anything. And if you look at any libertarian Facebook group, number one, strap in because it's a nightmare. But number two, you're never going to see a liberal, a socialist, a Democrat, an independent, a moderate, in those groups being able to see constructive debate or constructive uh, discussions about real issues that impact people on a daily basis. They'll see, give kids heroin because they're you know they're consenting humans, and you'll see the uh, abolish public schools, and that's not productive. That doesn't. It doesn't bring people into the movement. You have to have real conversations. We have to be able to work with people who maybe aren't our 100% allies, but maybe are like our 70% allies or our 80% allies and, and really find those, those key issues within that 80% range that we can, we can find true fundamental agreements that we can then agree. Hey, this is where we agree. Let's push these, these uh, different agree, or arguments forward and, and try to make real change and bring people in based on those ideas. Um, so with that being said, The Brian Nichols Show, um, I record every Thursday, um, usually around 7.30 at night, and uh, the show will uh, be released on Fridays. Um, so be sure to uh, subscribe. I also have a Patreon, and uh, you can always follow me on Twitter. And for all of those, Patreon, Twitter, or Facebook, you can follow me at B Nichols Liberty, B-N-I-C-H-O-L-S, liberty. Um, also, feel free to go to uh, The uh, Brian Nichols Show on iTunes. You can download that there, and uh, hey, if you like the show, give it a uh, a rate review and uh, share it with friends and family. That's how we uh, we grow the movement. Look at that, man! You took my job for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I've been doing this for a while or something, right? I know,
0: right? And <laughs> and I actually have to check out that um that episode about Jordan Peterson because I've really been interested in.
1: That was the highest viewed episode, um, which I was astounded because I didn't think it'd get that much traction. But Ben Shapiro is definitely a how do I put this? He is a very Polarizing figure, not only within the dichotomy of left and right politics, but even with the confines of conservative slash Republican politics and and libertarians, because Ben has this unique way of being able to piss off pretty much anybody. It's amazing. That's why he has such a big following, though. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I I listen to him every single week because not necessarily because I agree with him 100%. I gotta hear what he's saying because he's just he has a way about approaching arguments like Ben. I, I hardly agree with Ben when it comes to uh, foreign policy, but I like to listen because he has sound, logical, nuanced reasons for believing what he believes. I don't agree with him at a, a fundamental basis, but I get why he's arguing what he's arguing and what he's promoting for. And I think that's a key in order to getting real change is understanding where people you disagree with are coming from and then to try to find common sense solutions and areas where we can come together and say, hey, I know we don't agree on this. Let's acknowledge that move forward and find the areas we can't agree. And I think that's why Ben, I mean, hell, 2024, Ben Shapiro, Austin Peterson, or flip it, I don't care. I just want to see a kick-ass libertarian conservative alliance where we can actually go into Washington and and make some real change. Like that's going to take over the government and leave people alone. And hopefully Austin can keep Ben away from starting new wars. So that'd that'd be a plus. (laughs) <laughs> let's, not,
0: let's not forget the local races too. Cause you know, that's what it's all about, right?
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Especially, Hey, going with that federalist idea, the local races are where it's going to impact you the most. So uh, let's uh, support those races and support the candidates. They're going to mean uh, you know a lot more to you than your, your federal uh, or uh, state ele- elections will be.
0: Now, one last question. You said you're, you have a family of politicians. Do we see a possible Brian Nichols as a candidate someday? <laughs>
1: Um, I'm never gonna rule out, uh, you know, down the road what might happen. Oh, what come might on, that's a political answer. <laughs> okay, let, let, let me let me give you the real answer because I've been in politics for my entire life. I have watched, um, I have watched people's lives be destroyed um, just because they're not having a D or an R next to their name, um, and. You know, I I would never want to see you know my friends, my family have to go through an experience of going through the rigmarole of an intense political campaign. I, I would never rule it out down the road because things may change in terms of you know people. We, we might need candidates to run um, because it it is hard for people to run nowadays. I mean, look at the elections that are happening across um, you know our nation right now, and, and the, the way that people just try to destroy people. It's not a matter of you know talking about. Do we agree or disagree? I mean, hell, they try to make Mitt Romney, Mormon nice guy, look like, you know, he kicked a puppy by saying he he had you know, there's like what was it, 40 some odd percent of Americans are instantly not gonna vote with Republicans? And that was like taken as uh, you know, he he's a an elitist snob. Like, give me a break. It's Mitt freaking Romney. I don't even agree with the guy in a lot of policy, but he's Mitt Romney. And then we have a guy like Donald Trump who they like went went to the woodshed trying to destroy him. And he's just like, yeah, I'm Trump. Bring it on. And he just, it didn't matter. So, I mean, I, watching what happens in elections, I'm hesitant, but Hey, you know what? I'm going to give the political answer. Cause I'm a political guy. I'm not going to throw anything out. We'll see, but probably not. But baby, I don't know. <laughs>
0: I, I like that answer. And, and was, so that last point about Mitt Romney, it was interesting. I was watching a video with Bill Whittle and he was talking about how um, conservatives can sell or, or even right-leaning people can sell their ideas. And he said that in 2012 at, with exit polls, Mitt Romney won pretty much everything policy-wise. It was just the one question of who cares more and Obama won. Who cares about me more? So it was interesting. All you had to do is turn them into the turn him into the you know, incarnation of the devil, and it's like, oh, no,
1: we're going to win. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, um, public or, uh, political, uh, political campaigns are no more than marketing and public relations, um, which I think a lot of people in politics forget. Uh, yes, it's about issues. Yes, it's about policy. Um, but the average voter, like I said earlier, they don't really care. I mean, uh-huh. Jimmy Kimmel's uh, Man on the Street segments, even though I'm not a fan of Jimmy Kimmel, I mean, it just shows the average American and how, like, who's our current vice president? Um... Bill Clinton. It's like no, no. It it was it was Joe Biden at the time, and no, just stop. And and the people vote. They're gonna vote in those those big elections, and um, that's why unfortunately the uh, the the mudslinging and, and all that stuff is what sticks because that's what people think of when they go to the voting booth. Like oh yeah, Mitt Romney's the guy that said that he he doesn't like half of America. Oh yeah, Hillary Clinton. She she called a lot of people deplorables, and she she is corrupt. Like. That's what people remember, and and until libertarians <laughs> understand that yes, policy does matter, but so does the uh, the public relations and marketing of the candidates and the and the ideas themselves. I, I don't feel too good about about the prospects going forward until we get ranked choice voting. That will that will be something that I think will be good.
0: I hope that's coming in the future. And then, for those of you libertarians or any politician really who has a good message, read or listen to on audiobook uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. It really gets down to why people buy into um, why you can get people to follow you or to get people to vote for you or to get people to buy your products. So, I'm, I'm giving you guys that tidbit right there. If you don't do it, that's on you, but I'm, I'm giving you the, <laughs> the information. Well, Brian, it's been awesome having you on the show, and I hope to have you back soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and George, you're you're doing a great service here. And at the end of the day, um, telling stories like you're you're doing here, bringing people on to your show, we're gonna be able to give various means of, of you know personal experiences why they got where they are. That's what we need to have. We need to have these kind of conversations. We need to be able to look at people in a in a human sense, and to be able to look at each other as not someone who who is going to you know cast a ballot one day, but as someone who is a neighbor and someone who has you know their own personal struggles and you know at the end of the day we need to work together not against one another
0: Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. And if you guys like this episode, please, and go listen to Brian Nichols on The Brian Nichols Show. He's doing an awesome job over there. And if you guys like this podcast, go ahead and leave a five-star review on my podcast. A review and a rating definitely helps us out. You can follow me on Twitter at the J. A. Brown. Check us out on Facebook. Check me out on Instagram. And so now, like I said, we rebranded. We are now the Jordan A. Brown Show jab JAB for short. We are no longer the Igora. So keep on a lookout for that. But basically, I want to talk about ideas. I want to share stories and talk about ideas. So if you guys like that, stick around. All right. This is Jordan A. Brown for the Jordan A. Brown Show. Wow, that's really weird to say. See you guys later.